This is a HeadGum Podcast. Hey, Craig, it's Andrew. Hi, Andrew, it's Craig. Great, we're both here. All right, everybody. Now that everybody's here, let me let me let me tell you something. Let me please, tell you this. Please, you're watching your favorite movie or TV show. I am. Can you see it in your mind's I eye? I can. All right, and with each stunning shot or brilliant edit, you're asking yourself, "How, how do, do they, they do, do it? it?" Followed by, "How do I do it?" Which <laughs> I think you know what I'm leading up to. That's why I love American Masters Creative Spark, the award-winning podcast from PBS that illuminates the creative journeys of icons across disciplines from music to comedy, to poetry, to film. Uh, every episode, host Joe Skinner sits down with luminaries like legendary writer-director John Waters, Oscar-winning songwriter Buffy St. Marie, and Pulitzer-winning the Candy House novelist Jennifer Egan, who's a visit from the Goon Squad we discussed way back in 2013, and who's the Candy House we're going to be discussing like next week. weeks. <laughs> next week, yeah. <laughs> uh, this week, American Masters Creative Spark continues with an appearance from acclaimed writer-director Kelly Reichert whose new film, Showing Up, will be in theaters next month. Whether you want to learn more about an old classic, discover a new favorite, or find inspiration for your own creative journey, this is the podcast for you. Follow American Masters Creative Spark on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get podcasts, and tell them we sent you. podcast about the books you've been meaning to read my name is craig my name is andrew we got all the books in the shelf here <laughs> all the books in the shelf yeah we do all of them in this mm-hmm. shelf they're all here they're we there everyone's here everybody's here <laughs> welcome to our weekly book podcast where one of us reads a book and the other one gets to hear about it alongside you the listener mm-hmm. andrew Tell the folks at home and, by extension, me, what book you read this week. I read All the Birds in the Sky by Charlie Jane Anders. Not some of those birds in the sky. No. that was I think there was a prequel. Not like, two birds the, in the hand. And there's no, no birds in the hand, no birds in the bush, all in the sky. All of them. Or at least we're talking about the ones that are in the sky. Like the ones <laughs> okay. that are in the hand and in the bush and everywhere else. Like th- those birds are fine, but <laughs> that's not what the book is about. Sure. It's about okay. all the books in the birds in the sky. <laughs> I got if you. my vibe is off, it's because like I wasn't ready for it to become always sweaty all the time. Oh, weather. so, so sweaty fast. today! <laughs> Just a muggy one. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Muggy sunny like, oh, day. Yeah. Oh yeah, my body does this too. It just I'm just yeah. I, just, I move and then I'm I'm wet suddenly. <laughs> <laughs> Not in, yeah, it's bad out here. Um, can't imagine that that will play into this conversation at and all. If it's, and if it's gross to hear about, imagine how it feels to experience. I know this is this is, the, this is an audio medium. We paint word pictures with our mouths, and look I'm at, painting you a picture of how sweaty it is outside. While you're listening, look in the mirror. Are you sweating? This is how we feel. Think about it. Mm-hmm. Well, Andrew, I've never read this book before. I don't think you had read it before reading it for no. the show, per the no, rules but I've of read the show. No, I've read it. I've read it now. Yes. Great. A couple weeks ago, hadn't read it. This week, <laughs> read it. So we should talk about Charlie Jane Andrews a little bit first, and then we'll talk a little bit about the book, and then uh, you'll tell me all the stuff in there. Yes, yeah, sounds great. How it goes. So, yeah. so uh, I, know, I knew Charlie Jane Andrews had written 
several books. Okay. Um, she was she was a founder of IO9, co-founding the, like, editor of IO9, uh, the website about the, the, science fiction. Yes, the Gawker website. Is it still like? Is there still as? Uh, whoever owns them, like they've been pieced out and bought by like venture capital goons. I think it's all like geo media or vo media or whatever the the top media. says av club deadspin gizmodo jalopnik jezebel kotaku courts the root the takeout the onion the inventory okay it's possible that io9 like died and was full and then it, into one oh, of the other ones excuse but. me it's gizmodo.com slash io9 Oh, okay, okay, yes, they've been folded into the tech site, but Which is for a weird. while it was a it was a cool yeah it was my <laughs> <a> cool like <laughs> woman led sci fi site. My note underneath it here just said it's wild to think of somebody even founding that site because it's just like a thing I remember always existing. I wasn't on the on that type of internet before mm-hmm. I, we left college, mm-hmm. um, like just like reading articles. I don't know what was I doing on the internet before then. I don't know, but it, like, I know you were reading Kotaku back in t- like 2008. Well, around we the same time. No, it, I don't know. Yeah. That's, that's what I mean. Like that's the era of this. But I don't remember thinking of those things being founded. They were just there. For they me. were just there. Sure. Yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah she so was the EIC for a period of time. Mm-hmm. And I, I hadn't read any of her stuff. I'd read some stuff from um, uh, Annalie Newitz, who was oh. her partner who was the editor-in-chief for at, at io9 for a long time like i worked with her for a couple of years oh at cool ars technica she, she's rad i cool. like her a lot but um yeah so yeah this is i i, I had been wanting to f- to to find one of, like pick one of hers of charlie jane andrews's to read for a while so i'm glad to finally get to do it yeah so she was born in 1969 in connecticut uh studied university of cambridge studied abroad in china um, I found an interview where she said that somebody was asking her when she first started writing fiction, and her response was, in third grade, she was filling up her workbooks with Doctor Who fan fiction. So, <laughs> stardom young. Mm-hmm. Uh, in addition to io9, also founded other, other also co-founded Other Magazine, I think was the publisher there for... What other magazine? Well, you have to ask her. First base. <laughs> Uh, that was she, was she was published there from 2002 to 2007. Um, she's had other work uh, published in Tor, Strange Horizons, McSweeney's. Um, is or was the sci-fi fantasy reviewer for WAPO? I'm not sure if that's still her beat, um, but has reviewed a bunch of sci-fi fantasy as well. Um, Let's see what her last post on the Washington Post author page was. Go for it. Oh yeah, March 7, 2023. She's still she's still there. Rock and roll. She seems she appears to have a monthly column. Oh, I love it. Yeah. Um she also co-hosts a pod called Our P- Our Opinions Are Correct. <laughs> a science fiction podcast. It's confident. Yep. I like it. Uh co-created and I think did some writing on uh Escapade, a the first I think maybe the first, but a trans superhero uh in the Marvel universe. Um, currently appearing in the New Mutants line. Uh, and then there's it mentioned in a number of interviews, I couldn't find one that mentioned if she had started it again, but was the MC for a long time for this uh, series called Writers with Drinks, which was based in San Francisco. Had a, Wait, writers drink now? I know. That's, that's, wild. that's wild. I thought it was only Hemingway. <laughs> yeah. 
kind of a a genre mashup, uh, like literary cabaret thing. Um, a lot of her bios and interviews also mentioned just kind of a a flair for event planning and like kind of kooky zany, you know, coming up with reasons for people to come together around a thing. Sure. Um, and her first novel, I believe, was Choir Boy in t- 2005, which won a Lambda Award. Uh, she says she wrote like four other books between then and this one in 2014. Um, this was was this out in 2014 or 2016? 2016. Okay, so she got her two book deal with Tor in 2014. Excuse me. Mm-hmm. Um, but wrote like four other books that never saw the light of day. Some of them got repurposed into other material, but mostly needed to just get to a different like style in her writing. I think is sure. what she said. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a teen like a YA trilogy: Victories Greater Than Death, Dreams Bigger Than Heartbreak, and Promises Stronger Than Darkness. Comes yeah, out I thought about this month. Victories, I think I thought about victories greater than death, but I didn't want to. Like we, I've, I, we have both. You didn't read want a to bunch do first like, book. Yeah, we've both read a bunch of like number ones of series for the this, podcast, and like usually it works, but I just didn't want to. I'll be interested to, to hear it. about how this one ends because there was at least one review I saw that was like teeing up for a sequel. And I, that was not, I didn't read that anywhere else. So. I mean, I guess insofar as like both the main characters are still alive at the end. Like what do you, okay. <laughs> yes. uh, I think we're just trained to expect a sequel to everything now. Especially like in genre fiction. Yeah. Even though, even though I'm reading the, the new Jennifer Egan for next week and that is literally like got yeah. a big sequel energy just the 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 end with the question mark at the end of every book or movie or tv show is just implied at this what point what if like you paid me end? again the end if you i mean unless you want <laughs> unless you're into it are there sequels to like shoes i guess there is right shoes like I'm trying to think of a thing that is a very popular thing that people buy and spend money on. I mean, I know that there there are. I, I listen. I don't know about I don't know about shoes, but I think there are like different models of shoes. That's in true. The way that there are different models yes. of like iPhone. car. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, they made a movie about a shoe. Huh. They make movies about anything these days. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> uh, she won the 2012 Hugo for. Uh, I think it was a novella. Six months, three days, and then. Uh, in 2017, it's a short story collection. Oh, thank you. That's why I said the word weird. Thank you for knowing <laughs> that I was incorrect. Um, or then, maybe that's maybe six months, three days. Okay, the the what? short story collection is called Six Months, Three Days, Five Others. So I guess it could include the short story Six Months, Three Days, and then also five other ah. short stories with different names. Yeah, now we're talking. It's unless a it's a, unless it's uh, it's like a second version of 6 months 3 days <laughs> which is called 6 months 3 days and five others. It's really not the end? super clear. Yeah, the end? I don't know. Uh this book All the Birds uh won the 2017 Nebula and Locus awards was a finalist for the old Hugo uh, and said so the earlier drafts of the novel included aliens and an evil wizard. It was overstuffed with genre elements, um, but it was around the sixth draft that she decided to focus it in on the story of a witch and a mad scientist. 
She told Sci-Fi Now, I was noodling one day on something else. This kind of popped in my head. Very early, the original concept was witch versus mad scientist or mad scientist versus witch. And it would be them fighting each other. It would be some zany thing where they would be setting death traps like spy versus spy. I was thinking about them being enemies and that lasted a month. I had a month where I had a document called Mad Scientist versus Witch that I was putting a bunch of stuff into. And then I was like, <laughs> what if they were friends? And then went in a different direction. Mm-hmm. Uh, she talks in that interview with Sci-Fi Now about the revision process being about toning down a lot of zany stuff, mm-hmm. particularly in the first half, so that you can uh, identify with the characters a bit more and get invested in them. Yeah, the first half is is more grounded than the rest of it, I think, because mm. it is it's. I mean, th- there are magical and sci-fi elements that are asserting themselves like right from the from the jump, but I think the First half of the novel is overwhelmingly like kind of a uh, one of those uh, kid like tweeny sort of. Yep. My parents don't understand me. My sister doesn't understand me. I'm a nerd outcast at school, and then I found the one other person I can relate to. It's all it's all very like uh, elementary school like alienation stuff. Yeah. Ooh. There's so there's another quote I found about that. I'll just toss mm-hmm. it out now since you just okay. brought that up. Sure. Um. She's this is. Little long, but just bear with me. Uh, part of what I wanted to get at with the book was when you're young and isolated and about to be a teenager, you think that if you could just find other people like yourself, like other mad scientists or witches, or if you're goth, if you could just live in a town where there's more than one other goth, if you could find other people like yourself that you fit in with, that understand what you're dealing with, then your life would be perfect and awesome. And then you grow up and you move to the city and you do get surrounded by other goths or mad scientists or witches or whatever. And you get to find other people who are in the same group as you. And that doesn't suddenly make your life perfect or wonderful because they're never going to be the exact same person as you. And they're Mm -hmm. going to have all these expectations of you based on you having the same identity as them. They're going to be like, well, if you're a goth, you have to do X, Y, and Z and you're not really one of us. I think getting what you've always wanted, but it's not exactly what you thought it was going to be, is an important part of growing up. And that was something I wanted to dramatize. Yeah. Like if you eat cereal for dinner, it makes your tummy hurt. It is exactly like if you eat cereal for dinner, it makes your tummy hurt. <laughs> I think it depends on the... <laughs> you, just, like, you know how when you're a kid, you're like, if I were a grown-up, I'd eat candy all the time. Yeah. And then when you are a grown up and you do eat candy all the time, your doctor's like, hey, you have diabetes now. I'm really sorry. Yeah. That's, that's and your doctor has a monkey's paw for a hand. That's mm-hmm. what it and is. The, and your twenties are just like that. Wow. That. The twenties is like your Neo. Your, and- your twenties are that magical time before your body has learned how to be old. And also before it's forgotten how to be young. Yes. And so, <laughs> so you can kind of just do whatever you want to do it. Oh my God. <laughs> and it's not like you don't suddenly stand up and it's like, well, I guess my knee is just like this for the rest of the day for no reason. Yeah. Being in your 20s is being like Wolverine. Like you mm-hmm. are just able to bounce back from mm-hmm. anything. And if mm-hmm. you're not, it's only going to get worse. Yeah. Sorry. Whoops. Whoops. She set the book in San Francisco because she's lived there and didn't want to do a bunch of research, but wanted a strong sense of place. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. It's just like so- sometimes a big like robot will be going on a rampage or something. And, yeah. And the book will be like, and then there's a really good uh, taqueria. Burrito place. Yeah. That the, that the robot just destroyed. <laughs> so, yes, that's yes. 
I, it is my understanding that the research she did do was like on some of the science stuff for the mad scientist character. And, and yeah, whatnot. there there is a there's a list in the acknowledgments in the back of the book, and I, I won't go through it, but she does thank a lot of specific people for specific elements of the of the thing. Oh neat. Um, especially around like some of the like the near future apocalypse stuff and some of the technology stuff. Like they're they're definitely uh folks that she's consulting to make sure that she's getting things like it's it, you don't want to say right because it's like pretend it's not real yeah but like but that it feels right yeah totally yeah it's important because it's pretend but it's also it's like based on the technology and and gadgets that we that we have okay. and also the global warming that we have yes it's also based on true. those it's based it's, on those real things which but are it's lightly it's lightly pretend yeah okay i thought you were mm-hmm. gonna say it's pretend but it's about real feelings, and you're just going to describe books to me. But, no, 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 no. Okay. Um, well, where did do you, you want to? Did you know? That Wait. Book, books are mostly pretend. <laughs> well, and even it's the ironic. ones that say they're real, like sometimes have pretend. In them, I was going to say it's be, ironic. The ones that looking, say nonfiction yeah. sometimes mm-hmm. have a little bit of fiction in them. Yeah, or just like people not knowing stuff and guessing, which is just pretend. This is yeah. It's educated pretending. <laughs> I mean, that's just Jim Cramer in a nutshell. Am I right? Got him. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me about this book. Where do you want to start? You want to start? Okay. You want to start with kind of the mashup of sci-fi fantasy. The uh, what you talked about, how the first part of the book is more grounded than the latter part. Or do you want to start with characters or all three? Your choice. Oh, that's a lot of choices. Um, so the there are two characters in the at book. all and the, well i mean there are other characters okay. but there are two whose perspectives you inhabit uh mm. there's patricia who is a a young uh a young witch just starts as starts as a a child who doesn't know that she's a witch but then becomes a witch and then lawrence with a u l-a-u yeah. lawrence uh who is a like a tech nerd who makes a, his first technological innovation that he makes is a two-second time machine, which is like a little wristwatch-sized thing that you push a button on it, and it can send you two seconds into the future. And the stuff, whatever is... Like, sometimes... the <laughs> It's hard to convey how the two-second time machine works because it almost is nothing, but it is a little <laughs> bit of something. So you can just, like, skip out on, like, getting punched in the face or something. Okay. If you got your two second time machine, I like push it. The button, it just I right like time. it, but it's like not as the more the way that you would think of doing a two second time machine if you were gonna do one would be to go back. Yeah, just instead like, of going forward. Yes, but he did, but he can't do that. He can only go forward. <laughs> okay. Um. So did that that I think does a good job of establishing like this this kid is pretty. Uh, savvy and like scientifically oriented, but maybe not all the things that he does are going to to, to work out. Do exactly what yeah. he wants them to. Do. Okay. <laughs> and so the the book is like it's it's you know witch versus mad scientist. You've got Patricia's the the witch, Lawrence the mad scientist, and the two of them meet in like middle school, and are sort of they spend a lot of time 
and I, we just I just did the edit for our normal people episode, and I guess people will have just heard it, so it'll like it's pretty fresh for for me and for them, but maybe not for you. <laughs> but remember, in normal people, how the characters just like got together and then bounced off each other repeatedly a bunch of times. Yeah, yeah, that happens in this a lot too. Like they, these, their chosen like ways of like the paths they are walking in life are in some ways like fundamentally incompatible, but they are also linked at this level that just keeps bringing them back together over and over again. Okay. Um, so yeah, the, the book starts with them in them in middle school. Uh, neither of them, uh, have great relationships with their parents who are all sort of depicted as failures who have given up on life essentially in like d- different ways. Uh, cool. like Patricia's mom, like settled, uh, to to be with Patricia's dad, who is sort of a dud, and Patricia has a sister named Roberta, who has definitely got some like, uh, like torturing animals, sort of sadistic kid Yee. qualities. Um, and then Lawrence, yeah, both of his parents just kind of have settled into a life of quiet mediocrity. Lawrence is, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's 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 not it's not a great home situation for either of them. So they they don't feel like they they. Do not feel like they belong anywhere, which is mm. what sort of draws them together initially. Um, and then, but, and then there's also, there's like this assassin character who poses as a high school guidance counselor Heard for about a little this. bit. Yes. And whatever, we don't spend a lot of time like diving into the assassin's guilds, <laughs> like spending a ton of time with this dude. Uh, whose name is I think is Theodolphus Rose. <laughs> yes. Okay. I read about Theodolphus. Yes. <laughs> um, but he, you know, whatever rules guide his his union says that you can't just like kill kids. But he also <laughs> says to Patricia, like you and this guy, like you, you're you and Lawrence are like you represent these two different sides of this great cosmic battle, and you're gonna fight each other. And it would be great if we could. Head that off of the pass if you would just like if you just like kill him if oh. you wanted to if you if it was cool with you if you just wanted to kill him oh but then she but she won't do it even <laughs> though sometimes he's a jerk to her like she, he is hanging out with her and she does she the first magic she ever does she's kind of by, she's by herself and she's trying to hide in the woods and she finds this bird and this bird starts talking to her Whoa. and this bird leads her. So you know how a book is called All Birds in the Sky? Yeah. It's got, bird, the, it's got birds in it. Oh. So this bird is talking to her. The bird's got a broken wing, and she's talking to this bird. Hey, I'm flapping she, here. Is that what he sounds like? And well, Sure. If you, if that's a, you know, the thing about books, in addition to yeah. being pretend, is you can cast whoever you want yeah. in, the, in the roles in your I mind. I am like, thinking about... If no you, actor. All actors are available, and none of them have died. I'm thinking it's also thing if you casting. did... I'm going to interrupt you again. If you uh, adapted this show for television, I was just double-checking. I don't think that they've announced any plans. But, like, Theodolphus seems like a great... Like you're gonna cast probably some younger actors that are maybe like discoveries for your main characters, Patricia and Lawrence. Mm-hmm. But like Theodolphus seems like you bring in a ringer, you bring in a character actor ringer. 
I think, yeah, I was thinking uh, William Jackson Harper, who played Cheedy on The yes, Good Place. Yes, yes. I don't know why. It's something about the way he that the like, right he's age? physically described. Oh, it's, okay. Yeah, it's, well, he's right enough. He's old enough to be a high school guidance counselor. Oh, sure. Yes. Um. Anyway, that was head. That was some head casting. Yeah, I'm down for, with that. For that role. I just feel um, like you want to see a that guy. In that yeah, role. yeah, you definitely want to see a that guy, okay. and and you, I think ideally it would be a that guy, and then maybe also playing against type a little bit, yeah, which is why always yeah, fun, which is why I think Chidi would work well in that role. Okay, so she's talking to the wounded bird. She, she's talking to the bird, and the bird is gonna is like, hey, you can talk to you can talk to birds. You must be the witch, and she's like, uh, I don't know, uh, I don't know about that. And the bird is like, well, I'm gonna, I need to bring you. I should bring you to the Parliament of Birds. We all meet this cool tree. My wings broke, so it's gonna take me a little bit to like get us there because I don't really know the way, but we're gonna do it. And so she gets to the tree and the tree asks her a question that I don't think we hear in the initial Hmm. like encounter. And then she sort of like blacks out and can't talk to birds again for a while. But we, but we, the reader know, Hey, this girl's like magical. She's going to be a little magical. Okay. Um, And anyway, so she and Lawrence are, are hanging out. And the first time that she does magic in front of him where she successfully manages to talk to a cat, he gets really weirded out and sort of runs away and stops talking to her. But even when he does stuff like this, there's always some like counterbalancing thing that keeps them from totally severing the relationship. So like. Lawrence will not, even though everybody in the school is like making fun of Patricia because she's she's perceived as a weirdo, and yeah, they think that she like tortures animals, and like, and even though some of that stuff is stuff that her sister is doing, like she she's got a pretty bad reputation. But Lawrence won't say anything bad about her, and won't he just will not he will defend her when stuff like that. Good job, and then. Uh, Patricia is told, eh, maybe you could kill this kid, and maybe that would be good. And then she, but she doesn't do it. <laughs> so they're sticking up for each other in their own ways. And then Patricia is also kind of IMing with a like a big uh, computer that oh. Lawrence is building in his closet. Oh, and the way the the way I, I the only place in this book where I really had to just like tell my brain to shut up was when <laughs> it was talking about. Lawrence just like combining a big pile of motherboards in his closet to make like a computer that yeah. slowly gains sentience. And I'm like, I don't know. That's not really how you can't just stack a bunch of motherboards together and make like a super computer. Now but listen. it's sci-fi. We're going to, it's P10 also. When I was camping happen. as a little boy, mm-hmm. okay, the night after we had a campfire, I was just rounding up sticks, just little mm-hmm. sticks. Just picking them up. Just picking up them sticks. up. And I was putting them in the fire pit. Mm-hmm. Which must have still been hot enough. Mm-hmm. Some th- some embers were still going that I couldn't see. Mm-hmm. That it just turned into fire. Uh huh. And in my brain, I just poured. I just put a bunch of sticks together, and all of a sudden, it made fire. So like maybe you get enough <laughs> motherboards together, and it makes an AI. It makes an AI. And this how is else how, is it going to happen? This is, this is how uh, Dolly works. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Is some some Silicon Valley bro just like kept stacking processors on top of each other in his closet until it started spitting out images with too many fingers? I haven't seen any Substacks telling me that's not how it happened. Yeah, Casey Newton, get on this, please. please. <laughs> Show me their closets. How many motherboards are in there? 
Uh, so she's like, she's IMing with this, this, it is, it is basically is like a large language model style, like not really sentient, but like feigning towards sentience, aspiring to sentience. A smarter, smarter child. Yeah. A smarter child thing basically, yeah. which is, yeah, we've got one relevant example for people who are alive now and then one stupid old example for people who are 37 like us and we are who are not alive now <laughs> <laughs> yeah right exactly uh so yeah we we so we is that like a wait what, what is the nature of that like i am in relationship like how does that that's is that uh just very i don't know that it's really a secret patricia patricia's just lonely and like this is a this is a thing that she can bounce thoughts off of and okay. try to, like try to make herself a little less lonely. Okay. This first part of the book is what it sets up is these two kids are are alienated from everybody in their lives, including their parents and their siblings, if they have them, and people at school. Like if, if not actively antagonized, then at least not part of any in group. Yeah. Yeah. Um and then it also sets up that Patricia and Lawrence have a bond and then also sets up Patricia and Lawrence are on a collision course. You. And that's what you get. Okay. And then, the, and then the book uh, starts to time jump. It, I, it time jumps to when they're, when they're adults, they're now living in San Francisco and Lawrence is a, has fulfilled his, uh, his, his promise of becoming like a mad scientist. And Patricia is a practicing <laughs> witch who's walking around and like healing and hurting people. Oh boy. <laughs> but you've skipped like the, the last things that happen in either of their like timelines is like, uh, Patricia helps the AI robot in Lawrence's closet attain sentience. Mm-hmm. Uh, its name was, uh, change me with like a like an at sign and oh, some other God. stuff in the name, just because Lawrence figured once it became sentient, he would want it to pick its own name. Oh, <laughs> so yeah. it's initially named Change Me, and then after that, it's named Peregrine. So okay. uh, Peregrine, with Patricia's help, attains sentience, and then is just kind of like released out into the the network of the world, and is just like begins this life that we don't really see is this dis- distributed. Intelligence uh, entity, huh? Um, I love stuff like that. And I, then also, Patricia is like running from people at school, and it basically has a "you're a wizard, Harry" moment where somebody drops in and is like, "Hey, it's time to take you to the the secret wizard school. It's the, time to go." <laughs> the, okay, so there is a secret wizard school. I yeah, you don't. So the, the you don't spend a ton of time there because the time spent there is mostly glossed over in the in the time jump okay okay um so you you get a little bit it's uh called the eltisley maze i think and it's this combination of two different schools of magic uh one used to be eltisley hall which is where healers go and it's very like ordered and predictable and regimented and then the other is the maze which is where uh trickster the, those are the two schools of magic in the book are healing and trickster <laughs> And uh, yeah. mazes, mazes where tricksters go. The headmaster is like somebody who never wears the same face twice. Whoa! And you never know at lunch if you're gonna be eating like pizza or like worms. <laughs> <laughs> I made that. I made that up because I don't remember the actual examples. But it's it's just like 
that's so random, but yeah. in a, as a school okay, <laughs> that you have to go to to learn stuff from. That's so but, random. But Lawrence does not go there at all. Lawrence goes to just go. No, he's just a, sci- he's a, sci- he's a science boy. There, there are some scientists who he kind of links up with a l- little bit as a kid who are like, oh, hey, you made a two second time machine. That's that's you're somebody to watch. OK, um, so he's kind of a like a Silicon Valley tech bro type guy. Love it. Except we're living in a near future where um, we've moved slightly past the iPad into a realm of like, you know how your phone and your computer try to like scan your emails and like do helpful clippy nonsense to be like, hey, we we should we're going to help you track this package. We're going to make this calendar appointment for you. Like, we, yeah, it is analyzing all the stuff about you to try and do something like anticipatory and helpful and a lot of the time it doesn't work out but it's trying really hard well because everybody thinks that it's going to make your life more efficient because you've got that grind set and that's what you want it to do but actually it's like it's like an uncanny valley of productivity Mm -hmm. because it's never doing what you wanted it's just doing other stuff yeah well like 70 percent of the time it's it's doing something you don't care about. 20% yep. of the time it's working right. And then 10% of the time it is actively hindering you by doing something you don't want it to do. You look like a doofus just <laughs> yelling song names at a, you know, a at a, at a computer a, in at your a living room. Orb on your counter. <laughs> Ugh. I've watched you lose it a little bit That's telling stupid. that orb That's to stop playing stupid whatever home song because you'll playing. you'll say Hey Siri, stop! And I just said, "Hey Siri," like an idiot. Oh no! So like you just set off everyone's room. things in their right. cars. I said the magic word. I said the 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 activation word, and then stop. <laughs> and then it doesn't immediately stop, even though you saw the little light blink. Uh-huh. And then you say, "Stop again." And Siri's like, "I'm not playing anything. What are you talking about?" And it's just you just want to pick it up and punt it. <laughs> I do not have one of these. I don't know if I. I have knows? the Apple one because I'm like marginally less bothered by the yeah. privacy implications than I am by Amazon stuff because Amazon has made a point of, I don't know, buying a huge fleet of indoor and outdoor cameras and vacuum cleaners and like kind of everything that they need to do to be to to know everything about you and your house and be listening to you 100 percent of the time. Yeah, it's I use it almost exclusively for setting timers so I don't have to touch stuff when I have chicken juice hands. Yes. And like playing music for Henry. Yeah. Um, those are th- those are two good reasons to have this technology. Not to remind me about emails I'm ignoring on purpose. Right. Right. Or it's like sometimes when I give Siri a command that's like send send a message and the HomePod is like well, if you want to do that, you're going to have to turn on the thing where I can tell the difference between you and the other people in your house. And I'm just like, nope, I'll do it the, I'll do it the other way. I Shut will. Okay, and this will be the last thing. I will occasionally mm-hmm. use Siri to text while driving. Yeah, it's, it's all right only, for that. And but it will always ask me which. It'll always say you. You usually use messages for this. I'm like, yeah, that's the only app. I'm d- stop it. D- uh, just send the message. I mean, for me, if. For me, it is when you when you are texting with like a partner or somebody. Yes, there is a threshold of like it reads the message back to you and it inevitably like messed something up and it's like they know I'm driving. This is close enough. Yep, 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 <laughs> like yep. You yep. gotta find that threshold. 
Okay, so he's a tech bro. Something about this is occurring. Some he's sort a, of assistant. Oh, the the you, you were talking about like the level of technology. Yeah. In the so near we, we've moved we've moved beyond the we moved beyond the phase we just spent like five minutes talking about yeah. to a phase where this technology has become like genuinely useful. And okay. There's like this gadget called the the caddy that is just like that can just quietly make your life better by uh, maximizing kismet, basically, just like making it. <laughs> maximizing the chances that you're going to have like little serendipitous oh. meetings with other people. And it, you know, it feels like serendipity, but it, it is, it works out because so many people have a caddy to help manage their social lives that, um, that, you know, different caddies with different people can be like, Oh, Hey, you know, each other, you should both go to this coffee shop at the same time. Weird. Yeah. Uh, so who's in charge of this app? I don't know, we'll talk about it later. So okay. it's uh, it's th- that's sort of the level of, of near future we're talking about. Also, global warming is pretty bad. Like mm. I th- a couple stages past where we are now, beyond where it's like noticeable that horrible weather events are happening all the time, and to the point where it actually starts to become. Like, oh, New York's not habitable anymore. <laughs> yeah, it's it's actually creating geographic zones mm-hmm. in a way that is demonstrably permanent. And so you've got you've got you follow Patricia and Lawrence, who are who are still sort of young people who who are you know they're they're seeing other people. They they go through a long period, like the the whole time jump. They don't really see or interact with each other after their like you know last. Uh, childhood interaction so they're like just kind of getting back into each other's lives and deciding like how much they want to be be in each other's lives because they're they both like recognize that they're pretty different Mm. um and you've got stuff with patricia being a witch patricia is always being reminded not to reminded about uh, something called capital a aggrandizement which is just people using magic to try and like influence world affairs, like Mm. in a, in a big way or accumulate like personal wealth and fame and and glory. It isn't, it's not quite a Harry Potter thing where you need to keep the magic hidden from humans at all costs, even though like functionally it is mostly hidden from, from regular humans, but it's a, like it is, it is meant to keep people from messing with anything too big because if they mess with anything too big, the whole world is going to fall apart. The ramifications would be out of anyone's control. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and so when Patricia goes around like, uh, like giving bacterial infections to like sexual predators or curing oh people who have HIV, like she's doing just like little administering what she perceives to be justice in little ways. And that is all like walking right up to this aggrandizement. I would imagine which people. Yeah. Yep. Um, so she's, she's sort of dealing with that. She's got some trauma in her past that we explore a little bit later. And then Lawrence is like, he's dating somebody, but he feels weird about it. He's, doing stuff with some like venture venture capitalist guy that's all geared toward uh colonizing other planets because we just got to we got to be able to get off this rock because humanity is sentient and special and worth preserving and then, and then Patricia more represents like the nature end of it where it's like this isn't just like a rock like the earth is a the, the planet that we live on is also a, a thing yeah it's a, it's an organism 
Yeah. Okay. Gaia. Um, sure. If you, if you want, if you, if we have to. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Some people say Gaia. Some people do. Yeah. Like the you, old, you ye old it. terra firma. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> sure. Go ahead. Uh, so do you have any, like based on like reviews or research that you did, do you have any questions about like specific things? And then we can, now that I've done all the setup, I can kind of dive into the end I guess, game because like from it's a, pretty, it's pretty, if we're not going to do, if we're not going to do like scene by scene, it's pretty straightforward to talk about well, the rest of the book from here. I mean, we could do scene by scene if you want it, but you want questions. Um, no, scene by scene is just going to take too long. And also I'm not like fully prepared to do it, but the, um, the three star Goodreads reviews. Three star Goodreads reviews that I read. Some people did not seem to care for the time jump, actually, or and and kind of described like halves of the book uh, as like the liking one half more than the other. Uh, well, yeah, or thinking I can, they weren't quite yeah. in sync. Do you have? A- I can see that because they're they are very different. Like the the first one is, I don't want to call it John Greeny. Interesting. I have a thought about is, that. Yeah, but it is kind of playing in in slightly more of a YA book. Yep. Space. Yep. Where you could see it doing kind of a like a. Eleanor and Park, like these are the these are these two misfits who find each other and blah 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 mm-hmm. thing, mm-hmm. and then it turns into sort of a high sci-fi, <laughs> like the world is ending thing in the in the back half. So yeah, I could I could I completely get that. I think they, I'm, I don't want to say the book works like because of that, but I did not find those that um, Discord to be like too jarring i don't know i like i i thought that that i thought that it just when you think you know what the book is about it changes speeds and i liked both of the speeds i guess yeah reviewers for npr the la times and tour would all agree with you in the sense that they almost all three of them said something to the effect of like this is a book that knows the multiple genres that it's playing with and having this kind of yae section let it be that, and then she wisely time jumps out of it so that she doesn't have to, like, she can let it be that and then move into a slightly different part of sci-fi or fantasy storytelling Mm -hmm. because she knows what tropes she's playing with. And one of the tropes that it fits is we go to magic school or we have a middle school like romance or what yeah. like outcast romance. Well, and, and I, I yeah, and I've I've got to imagine I, I had this thought while I was while I was reading. I think that that both of them both both of these halves of the book, if we're if we're chopping it up that way, must like draw on different facets of of her experience. Like I, I can mm. imagine a lot of the stuff in the like middle school section of the book. I, I, you know, I, I, I don't, you, you never want to like impose a reality on this, just like assume stuff about somebody's reality. But I've got to imagine that as a person who eventually came out as a trans woman, like growing up in the seventies and eighties, yeah, that, that middle school and high school and even like family relationships must've been like pretty hard sometimes. Yep. Yep. And so I definitely picked up on, on the way that both Patricia and Lawrence's experiences read just the, the 
the realness of them definitely feels like it's drawing on something unlived experience yeah Yeah. experience personally and then the back half of the book you get to do more of the like io9 brain like sci-fi stuff sure sure um so i could yeah that's that that was the thought i had as as i was reading is like this is just this is an author who had two two things that she wanted to explore and she decided to explore them in the same book and it mostly works i think yeah okay yeah Mm -hmm. um and the other thing i i want to call out one or two reviews that mentioned um book i read for the show a while ago it got turned into a tv show the magicians by lev grossman which was like mm-hmm. kind of a mix of what if uh harry potter high school plus narnia kind of stuff where like kids went to magic school they were all like kind of lost outcast weirdos and then they all like it got very cynical and dark and they went back into the real world and, you know, turned to some of them turned to drugs and like the fact that they couldn't get back to that magical place, like really weighed on them and stuff. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And multiple writers could like not besmirching that book, but like contrast this book with that by like, this one is like kind of deliberately pretty fun and has this like kind of zany sense of humor and is a little more uplifting um what does does that sound accurate to you like i think it's like fun and vibrant versus cynicism is what i saw in the npr review yeah it is it is it does maintain even even through some of the near future apocalypse stuff a sense of this can we can make this better like this can Mm, be saved mm -hmm. and it is worth saving that that runs through it sure um so yeah, let's just so okay. The the first part of the book is all the middle school stuff. Yep. And then you've got another section of the book that is okay. Patricia and Lawrence are ad- adults now. Let's re meet them. Let's figure out what the like the conditions of their lives are and what they're sort of working toward. And then the last part of the book is uh, a hurricane Sandy, but as bad as it possibly could have been style hurricane hits the Eastern seaboard and knocks out like New York and, and DC and kills a bunch of people. And, you know, make there are all these climate refugees. Um, America is weakened enough that it sort of destabilizes the, the, the global political order. And, and, you know, you get to one of those points in history. I don't remember who tweeted this like many, many, many years ago, but it stuck in my mind is like one of those points in history where you've got a bunch of maps that have arrows drawn all over them. (laughs) Sure. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. You get to one of those like arrow map sorted phases of, of geopolitics in an arrow map time. Mm -hmm. Yes. It's great. Yeah. May you, may you live in, uh, an errorless era of maps. errorless maps, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, so the you've got the magic people have a sort of plan for quote saving the world, and then the science people have a plan for saving humanity. And you might notice like a subtle difference in terminology for what might seem like compatible goals. Is the science people are trying to build a basically a, a like a long range teleporter type device sure yeah um that could you know send humanity to another to, to one of several identified possibly habitable planets or it could like rip the earth in half oh 
And the, there's a, a scene where the, everybody's just talking about the probability of these different things happening. And one of them's like, you know, there's only like a 10% chance that it'll rip the earth in half. And if it does start to rip the earth in half, there's like a 50% chance that we could stop it before it, fi- oh. you know, it, it ripped all the way in half. So there's really <laughs> only like a 5% chance that we could it's, destroy the whole earth. And everybody's yeah. like, yeah, that sounds, that sounds pretty yeah. that sounds about right. That sounds pretty good. <laughs> Math checks out. Um, and the, the magic, the magic people are like, well, all these scientists are building this doomsday machine. We have to go stop them. And so it, this is the thing that Theodolphus warned us about is Patricia on one side, wielding this magic to destroy this, this, weird teleportation device and then Lawrence on the other hand building the device because he thinks it's the only way to save humanity from a planet that's imploding in on itself. Yeah. 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 Uh, so the, the magical plan, like the, the plan B for saving the world is to basically introduce this, uh, thing that they refer to as like a version of colony collapse where you make every human completely, and totally unable to hang out with other humans. You just make it like intolerable for people to relate to each other socially. Oh, and, and then just society kind of stops. <laughs> oh no. And like some people still manage to like reproduce and have babies even, but most of them are abandoned and it's just either humanity fades out and, and the world continues on and things are just like balanced and, and, and life, life continues and life finds a way or like humanity shrinks back to like a more manageable population and grows back from there. It's not like just put a big limiter. There is not a there's not an end game articulated except, you know, break society apart. Well, and that's to to make to to save what is savable. That seems of a piece with what kind of a a, a magic organic approach to a solution would be, which is like, we don't necessarily know where it ends up, but we know that it will change it from what's happening. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and create the possibility. I like that it's like kind of putting a hard limiter on humanity as a, as a social animal mm-hmm. and just like, well, you can't do that anymore. Yeah. <laughs> you can still be here, but you mm-hmm. can't, do the thing that you do that hurts the planet. So, mm-hmm. hmm. Okay. Uh, so Patricia destroys Lawrence's big machine, and he is he has just just weeks before had admitted, "Hey, I actually love you." And she's like, "Hey, I love you too." And they both have finally realized that this reason that they keep finding themselves back in each other's lives is they actually have this like really deep bond and they really care about each other. Mm. but they're also on two opposing sides of this, of this thing. So uh, Patricia destroys this machine. Doesn't really see Lawrence is there, but knows he's probably there. Um, Lawrence has like left a long voicemail on Patricia's phone about how he loves her, but she hasn't heard it. And so she thinks that he, you know, in going off to this bunker to work on this teleportation device has abandoned her. Like he, kind of did in high school after she did magic to that cat and he ghosted her for a little bit. So they're both feeling kind of wounded in their respective corners. 
Um, but then their caddies start acting a little weird. Remember caddies? I remember them. The little, the little computer boys. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the caddy network is Peregrine, the yeah. closet AI computer. Okay. From uh, from before, Peregrine was purposely sort of hiding itself from Patricia and Lawrence because it just didn't want to. I don't know. It just didn't want to have an awkward conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and the whole, yeah, so they, it, it brings them together. Like it, it keeps undeleting this voicemail that Patricia didn't, Patricia didn't listen to. And so she finally listens to it and realizes, Hey, she, she read Lawrence the wrong way. And they get, they get back together and then they go and they kind of save the world a little bit. It's like this melding of of the magic solution and the technical solution where, okay, remember because Patricia went to with the bird to the tree and like the parliament of birds. Yeah, it's a Chaucer reference. And was asked, yeah. and was asked this question, mm-hmm. and we don't know what the question is. And the question is, it's, is a tree red, like the color red? Oh, often it is not. And this is also the question that uh, Patricia asked of Peregrine that like booted it into sentience. It's like the reverse version of the Star Trek episode where Captain Kirk breaks the computer by asking it like a uh, uh, <laughs> by presenting it with a logical contradiction. Oh, okay. Yes. Okay. <laughs> it's like it's you like... present the computer a question that's like, "Wait, I'm sentient now." <laughs> well, because like I presume. Does the book give any sort of answer to this question, or is the, it the answer that Patricia ends at is I don't know. Okay, like there are so many. Not only do I not know what the, the tree you're talking about, I don't know how things other than humans would would see it. I don't know how it I would don't appear know, man. in like other I've dimensions. Never been it's a all dog. It, yeah. It gets a very it gets very like. Oops! Took too many gummies here yeah. for a minute. <laughs> Just, just me in my closet, just shoving gummies into a pile of motherboards, trying to make an AI. <laughs> um, but I could, I, I like that as a question that would, that would kickstart an AI, yeah. like a, a creative, abstract, uh, kind of. You have to consider the nature of perception and reality mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. sentience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah the like ref- the, that acknowledges the messiness of existence yeah um and so what ends up what ends up happening is is um patricia's like hey i like answered your question finally like don't i get something and the tree's like well what do you like what do you want me to do (laughs) and lawrence takes his caddy with peregrine the ai on it and like kind of tucks it into like a sort of little knot hole in the tree and the tree like grows little like shoots into into peregrines like ports little port like you know the ports on the thing on the on the device a usb tree and it's like not only is peregrine partially sentient because like patricia as a magic user was like talking to it and, and influencing it like there's a like a hint of magic that makes the the jump from chat gpt to sentient thing possible Okay. Uh, the tree is also 
sort of networked to yep. the rest of nature and, Love it. and and magic in like a rudimentary way. Love and it. So Peregrine is like, hey, I'm going to do a firmware update real quick. I'll be back. <laughs> and then comes back online and and help and lets them undo this spell that would make humanity like colony collapse. Oh. And so the that that's where the book kind of ends. It's this moment where okay, the escape hatches the both the escape hatches are gone. The one that would allow humanity to go to some other world and colonize it, that one's gone. And then the the one that would make uh, climate change the least of humanity's problems is also gone. Yeah. <laughs> and so now they have to, people have to go and kind of figure it out. And and you've got, I, I you have to read the book to, if, if you are reading the book, sometimes our like little synopses like, uh, uh, allied over stuff. Yeah. What that makes no a, that makes like an ending <laughs> that makes an ending thing feel like more satisfying than it is. But you you get you do get little snippets of scenes even when people when like bad things are happening to people and the apocalypse is happening where there's still like these little moments of humanity like yeah, flashing through. Sure. Where they, for some reason in the apocalypse, like somebody hipsters brought back like madrigals and now people just go around and sing madrigals all the time. And so Listen, that's a thing. Do you remember sea no, shanty? Ma- TikTok? Madrigal, sea shanty. TikTok was cool. Madrigals do whip. I remember music history in college. William, not William bird, Thomas bird, William, which one sold the bridge and which one made dope <laughs> madrigals? <laughs> I went Robert our, bird, Robert bird. I think our, our uh, music history, Teacher the trumpets at uh, okay. No, Robert Bird is the senator. I'm thinking William Bird. You're thinking William Bird. Cool. Um, not William Bird to the American lawyer. Our music teacher at Kenyon, his name's Dane Hushamer. He's a cool dude. I think he's still there. I think he's still there. Yeah. And whenever I'd see him at reunions, we'd just like chat for a little bit because I also did a bunch of computer stuff for him (laughs) after I graduated and started fixing computers for the school instead of attending. Yeah, it was so wild because he was like the first person who, who uh, I came to fix his thing, and I was like, oh, I, you know, I, I tried to call him H, which is what all the students called yeah. him. And he was like, please call me Dane. We're we're like adults now. <laughs> so, but anyway, we we did a like a Wednesday morning music history class with him. Craig and I did. Yeah, and there was one day where. I think it was Thursday morning because yes, Wednesday was, was yes. Wednesday was was Hump Day party night, and so yep. a bunch of people, um, oh, like boy. did some people didn't show up. Some people showed up clearly not prepared to discuss the material. Yeah, and so that day's lesson became a very long, exasperated rant <laughs> on exactly how much money you are wasting by paying to go to college and then blowing off class. Like at the by <laughs> like individual <laughs> class period, he yeah. broke down the math. It's like I didn't know I was in. I was taking an econ course I, over I've here. Never forgot that class ruled. That class that was, was great. Class. We listened to a bunch of cool magicals. <laughs> anyway, this <laughs> what you this were... book is a lot of fun. <laughs> I liked it. You should read it. Well, I I'm glad you got to the that you did explain the ending because that was I was wondering what I saw in some reviews mentioned as kind of a like a rejection of uh, like. Binary thinking in Mm. terms of like solving crises. Um, Well, even talking about how you know there are these two schools of magic, and once they were at war, but then they grew back together, and so now you've got science and science and magic, which appear to be two different 
two different schools of thing, but what if they're just like two branches that grew apart and can grow back together? And I really respect that she didn't then show you what the magic third way is. Instead, she just was like, there's other intelligences. The two the two solutions that you came up with were bad. She left it open for a sequel, though. You remember that review was like, hey, I, sequel's coming. <laughs> apparently, <laughs> she, apparently, she did not write a sequel, but she did in the collection, Andrew... Oh, the uh, uh, the one with the name that we couldn't six figure months, out? three days, five others. It mm-hmm. was one of the others. She wrote a short story called Clover about Patricia's cat. Mm. Okay, uh, but it's not a sequ- I, I don't. I don't know. It's under a Wikipedia header called sequels, but mm-hmm. I don't. It's not More a, full a sequel. I had squeakquel. <sighs> David Cross got to get paid. Uh, mm-hmm. Thanks for telling me about this book, Andrew. Thanks for listening to me. Maybe I will become a sentient AI someday. Yeah, all birds my, in the sky, you know. What my activation question will be. Who knows? What was your mother's maiden name? Well, <laughs> <laughs> what was the first concert you attended? What was those your are, favorite those are my restaurant in college? Question. Yeah, those are my activation questions. <laughs> what was the first name of your best friend in fifth grade? I don't know. What was the name of your first dog? Mm-hmm. What do you? How do you know how many dogs I've had? Question. <laughs> um, send us an email uh, with your activation questions and your answers if you want us to have that information. Uh, OverduePod at gmail.com Hit us up on social media at OverduePod. Thanks to Starfish Chick, MBK, Maya, MK, Brad, Lulu, Liesel, Jamie, Nancy, and many more for reaching out in the past week or so. Uh, thanks to Nick Larangis who composed our theme music. Andrew, if folks want to know more about the show, where do they go? Overduepodcast.com is our internet website. Up there we have the books that we have read and the ones that we are going to read. Uh, we talked a bit, We talked about the... Did we talk about the schedule when we did the intro for last week's episode? I, uh, I think we just talked about this book. We talked about the schedule two weeks ago. Coming up next week, Candy House by Jennifer Egan. And after Ret- that... Re- Return to the Goon Squad. Yes. I've, I'm like a third of the way through and I'm like I had to stop and just like crack open the internet and be like all right which of these characters are goon squad people I, <laughs> I don't remember like, I read this book like nine years yeah ago and I don't remember I'm, anymore I'm like getting like I think maybe and okay uh and then after uh, that then, oh yeah sure go for it oh Charlie, Charlie and Chocolate, Chocolate Factory, Factory by Rolled Doll. Oh, yeah yeah. We're diving into the, we're going to teach you the controversy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we also up there on that website, have a link to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash overdue pod, get access to our discord server, get access to bonus episodes early, including our long read series, which right yeah. now is called stand by me. We're reading Neil Gaiman's Sandman graphic novel series, a book at a time. Uh, the first two episodes of that hit the main feed recently. So if you, enjoyed those i think we're up to have we recorded four four has been released four has been released so So if you want to you want to catch up and uh you know keep reading more sandman ahead of everybody else patreon.com yeah yeah Um, and we're sitting on bonus recordings and other stuff it's it's fun uh and if you didn't listen go back and listen to our normal people episode from last week we had vanessa on it was super fun pretty cool conversation you want to say anything else about vanessa or like no, the, 
<laughs> like the the properties people might know her from. Or oh, just you a, know, Vanessa a person Zoltan named Vanessa. From, okay. Yeah, we had just a person named Vanessa came on. You know, Vanessa Sultan <laughs> from Harry Potter and Sacred Text and Not Sorry Productions, Hot and Bothered. You know, Sacred Jane Eyre stuff. Yeah, podcasts, podcasts, and reading. Mm-hmm. That's what you're here for. Whew. Okay, everybody, thank you for listening to our podcast. And until we talk to you again next week, please try to be happy. That was a HeadGum Podcast.